Please turn your Bible to Hebrews chapter 3. You know, we live in a world that spawns doubt and unbelief. We have infomercials that seem too good to be true. Now they've got a, uh, some kind of a solution where you put a drop and it just burns all your fat off. Have y'all seen this? You put this little drop and it just melts the fat away. And so I'd be afraid that I would, I would completely perish to nothing if I could do that. Um, we live in a world where news outlets no longer report the facts. They spin the details that fits their view. And we wonder why we live in a situation where people have doubt or unbelief. And that's what we're talking about this morning is unbelief. We're going to pick up in Hebrews uh, chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 12 through verse 19. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of assurance firm until the end. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard indeed did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses and with whom he was angry for 40 years was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you'll speak to our hearts. And I pray that, that you will apply your word to our lives. And I ask you to give us insight, ask you to help us. To understand exactly what you meant. And Father I pray that. Uh, that we'll heed the warnings. And Father that. Father we know warnings with you. Are to keep us from losing our way. Or losing track. Or falling into the things. That the enemy has seated our mind with. And so I pray for clarity. Ask for discernment. Here today among your people. I pray that we'll all take an honest look because it's easy when circumstances are tough, when it seems like everywhere we turn there's roadblocks to wonder where you are or to pray prayers and have you not seem to answer. And so I pray for your people as you restore their faith, as you restore their confidence in you, as you restore the tenderness of their heart. And may, Father, where we always walk in faith and not in unbelief. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, as we take a look at unbelief, we're going to learn that we need to be careful. We're also going to discover that we're partakers of Christ, which we talked about two weeks ago. And we're going to learn not to provoke Him. So if we're going to be careful... He tells us here as he begins to take care that you don't have an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. This is our warning. 
he begins by saying, check yourself. By take a look at your heart. By take a look at um, your confidence in him, if you will. And your doubts that you have to, about God. And the truth is, a lot of times we do have doubts. Sometimes they're not expressed. Sometimes they're things we care or concerns that we have. Or wonderings of why God does things. Or wondering why some verses are some ways. Or feeling left out. Or God, how come I feel so alone? If you've ever been in any of those situations, I want you to know you're not alone. I've been there. I've been there wondering where God is when you're trying to work for Him and you're working so hard it just seems like you're so exhausted and you can't find that refreshment that comes from Him. You ever been there? I've walked that journey. Or when it doesn't seem like things are going the way that you would want God, that you think God would want them to go. Or it seems like as you draw, want to draw closer to God, it seems like Everything gets worse. You ever been there? You want to serve God more. You're making yourself more dedicated. You're, you're, you're following. You're responding to your heart. And it seems like all life starts to fall apart. And we wonder where he is. And we have unbelief. He says, so he says, take care. That you don't have an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. He cries out in this verse. says, don't fall away. Don't walk away. Don't go away. Don't give up. Don't listen to that voice that tells you there's a better way. This is the warning. We need to check our heart to see if it's moving away from God or toward God. Because it's doing one or the other, ladies and gentlemen. When you're in a relationship with anybody, you're either moving toward them or away from them. And let me tell you, if the enemy is harassing you and it's increasing, the, listen, <laughs> we only attack when we're at war the people who are the biggest threats, right? And so if the enemy is coming against you, keep doing what you're doing. You're a bigger threat. You know, there's a lion that's out there today that says if you walk with the Lord, everything pops up roses and everything is wonderful. Has that ever happened for anybody? When they serve the Lord? When you when you get you start to draw near to Him? It doesn't work that way. The world will tell you, and, and there will be some even churches out there today that tell you just if you follow the Lord, everything is, is fantastic all the time. It's there is a truth to it. Because if your confidence is in Him, and your eyes are on Him, and that's where you're finding your life, that is wonderful all the time. But circumstances, we have a tendency as human beings to let circumstances determine whether or not things are right in our relationship with God. If that was the case, imagine where David would have been. Or imagine John the Baptist. When he points out Christ and then he gets arrested <laughs> and costs him his life. Imagine the disciples when they give up everything and then all of a sudden after three years, only three years, three years used to seem long. It seems long when you're like 15. But when you're greater than 15, <laughs> three years 
you realize how quick it really is. This one you gave your whole life up for is leaving. Makes it difficult. And so we're cautioned here. But you know, there's a solution here in God's word. He said, encourage one another day after day. Encourage one another day after day. We are called to one another, ladies and gentlemen. And I guarantee you, I, I guarantee you that there are people out there who are hurting. And sometimes there's people in here who are hurting. Anybody here other than me ever, you don't have to raise your hand. You ever suffered in silence? Nobody really knew what was going on. And you just sat there and you just hurt in the middle of people. And you smiled and everything was fine. Everything's fine. When it's really not fine. We're not called to that. We're called to share with one another and be there and encourage one another. And call and check on one another. Listen to that still small voice. Pay attention when somebody comes across your mind. You know, I want to challenge you this week. If somebody comes across your mind, I want you to call them. You know, if we would start responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit, maybe we would understand and hear His voice more clearly. Take a moment. Well, I don't have a moment. Well, there's a reason that they came across your mind. Why don't you find out? Encourage one another. We're called to each other and be an encouragement to each other not to fall away from the Lord. See, because it's real easy when you get alone. You know, the Bible calls the enemy. He says that he, he moves uh, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And who do the lions pick off? They pick off the weak and the sick, the ones who can't run as fast. They pick off the young. They pick off those who maybe found some really green grass and the herd moved on and left them alone. And so, be careful. We have to be careful that we don't leave anyone behind. You know, that's... That's the Marines' motto, or that's the military motto, is that we don't leave no man left behind, right? Where's all my military folks, right? We don't leave men behind, do we? We go back. And you know what? You know what? I would really, if we're not that church today, I want to become that church. Amen? That we don't leave you behind when you're hurting. That we have an internal care ministry that reaches to one another and loves on one another. That's what he's talking about here. See, the reason we need encouragement is because the deceitfulness of sin is going to harden us if we allow it to fester. If you allow sin to go on, there's even verses in the Bible that talk about the searing of our conscience. But see, sin lies. It lies to you every time. And the father of all lies is the devil. And so he works through them trying to sell us a product. And trying to get us to say God is holding out on you. That's what he did with Eve. That's what he does with us regularly when circumstances don't go our way. 
or when we're exhausted in the race. And so here, we have to be careful because sin, the deceit of sin will harden us. And so be careful. Watch for yourself and one another. Watch for yourself and one another. Check on each other. Call each other. Encourage one another day by day. Isn't that interesting that he says day by day, not just Sundays and Wednesdays. Day by day. Because we need each other every day. This is a journey we share together. You ever had a rough day, just a bad day? How many of you it was on a Sunday? I've had it on a Sunday. <laughs> but a lot of times it's Monday or Tuesday or something, or, or, and you know what? Sometimes it's Friday. The last day when they drop it on you right before the weekend. We have bad days. And they come. We're here. We're supposed to be careful, folks. But we have to, going as we do that, we have to be careful that we remember that we're partakers of Christ. And he tells us that we're partakers of Christ essentially if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. How many of you, that seems like a little bit confusing. <laughs> it was like, it's almost like we're missing a, a subject in there, isn't it? Like, holding fast our assurance of Him to the end. It's like we're missing something. But if you read it, it's really, it's really cool. Watch how this, I'm going to read it again, I'm going to go slower. We hold fast the beginning of our assurance. When we came into faith in Christ, we were confident that he was the answer, right? When you turned your life over to him, there was something in you that said, Jesus is the answer. You were assured by the Holy Spirit. You knew it was the right decision. It was so clear. Nothing else mattered. And if we get caught up in sin over here, or we get caught up, and let me tell you what, let me tell you where all sin comes from. Sin comes from living out of your own resources instead of God's. It will manifest in all the Ten Commandments. Look at them. Murder. Right in that one in there? Well, God's not going to handle the situation, so I'm going to go take their life. Stealing. God hasn't provided for me, so I'm going to put this into my own hands and I'm going to take what's theirs. Every one of them has to do with living out of your own resources instead of letting God live his life through you. Pick a sin. We can go down all of them. Lust. Sex. Greed. Are all things that we attribute to God that he's holding out on us. The same thing that Eve was told in the garden. He's still telling us today. And they manifest in all those things. Well, you'll be like God. She was already like God. 
If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm to the end. It's the Holy Spirit that works in you. And we're told that he's the earnest of our salvation. And so as we hold fast to Christ and as we hold fast to him, that assurance remains with us. If we start to slip and sin will do that, if it becomes about Mark, and if it becomes about what God isn't doing for me, or if it becomes about what I expect, do I have the right to expect anything from God? <laughs> no. He has the right to expect everything from me. And when I start making expectations of God, it's selfishness. Or it's me saying, God, you're just not enough. Let me tell you where some of this comes from. Sometimes we're in those situations because God is breaking our confidence in ourselves. So that we can enter into a brand new relationship, a life-giving, fulfilling relationship with Him. You ever, you ever heard this passage of scripture quoted, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. You ever heard that before? That ain't in your Bible. That's not in the Bible. The Bible says that there is no sin that's taken you which God has not made a way of escape. That's what he's talking about. Sin. If I'm trusting Mark for something and God is wanting me to trust him, he will put more on me than I can handle so that I will give up on Mark and start trusting him. But it really stinks when you're in that position where you're having to give up on Mark. That's brokenness. When you die to yourself and you live to Christ. And so we hold fast. That means we remain confident in the Lord. We're partakers of Christ. And don't miss this if you hear his voice. If you're hearing the voice of God, that's a beautiful gift. We need to pay attention and follow. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? Have you ever... Have you, <laughs> this is terrible. But have you ever had a conversation where God begins to speak to you? And you begin to say, well, what about this? And you're kind of talking because you think you have a better way. Have you ever done that? <laughs> I know none of y'all have, but I've been there. But, but God, you know, if you would just do this, and then I'll do this, and then we'll do that. And we get this all planned together. It's like the people who pray say, God, if you give me a million dollars, I'll tithe. And so God's out 900000 it makes no sense. Once you ask God for a million dollars, He can give a million dollars away. That would be selfless, right? That's a fun challenge. I remember I challenged you, I challenged you all to that. I prayed that. Has it happened yet? But if it does, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to give all that away. Why wouldn't we have a heart that, God, whatever I have is yours? Why wouldn't we have that heart, right? Amen? Amen. The amens get quieter, we get talking about money.
There is nothing in my life that I have that doesn't belong to Him. So isn't God's 10%? You ever done one? I don't know how I got on this, but I'm having fun. No. God owns it all. The earth and the fullness thereof belong to the Lord. It's all His. If He wants me to give 50% or 100%, I know somebody... God instructed to give 100%. And they were really praying. They're like, no, 100%. And they gave it. And then they got a notice from the bank. And then the next month they gave. Now, don't you dare do this unless God tells you. They gave it again. They said, give it all. And they gave it all. And the second notice, eviction. Third month, they were told again. They gave it again. They expected a notice. And they didn't get a notice. He told them for the next two months to give it all. And they did. They were obedient. And they're like, man, we've got to go talk to our bank. Because we're going to get kicked out of our house. This is a true story. Their last name, their last name of the people was Blue. And so they went down to the bank and they said, oh, we've been bought out by so-and-so. And all the past two accounts have been wiped clean. We're starting fresh. You start fresh this month. But see, that's how God works. But we don't think He works that way. We think He works the way we think He should work or the way that we think or that we're trained. Like I said, don't do that unless God tells you. But don't do less than He tells you. Either. And so if you hear His voice, pay attention and follow. That's part of our relationship. That's part of our salvation. We are partakers of Christ if we choose not to harden our hearts. So don't choose to disregard Him or question His love for you based on His directions to you or even the circumstances around you. Choose to soften your heart to the Lord and follow Him at every opportunity. You know, God is going to ask us to do some things sometimes that we may not end up actually doing. Remember the story of Abraham and Isaac and what he told Abraham about his son Isaac? So they go up and sacrifice him. You remember that story? Was Abraham ever in God's plan didn't sacrifice his son? No. But he was dealing with Abraham's heart by how he, what he asked him to do. And so at, in his obedience, then God provided himself, not for himself. The Bible says God provided himself a sacrifice. And we're told when Abraham saw my day, he was glad. He saw in that ram, Jesus Christ. God provided himself as the sacrifice. Because all our needs are met in Him. And I'm telling you, at times it's hard. At times you're going, how much more can I take? I used to think I was overwhelmed. Until I became overwhelmed. You ever been there? I 
know how much more I can do. And then it doubles and triples. That's okay. God's enough. He's enough. Circumstances don't matter. They do not dictate our faith. Because we're partakers of Christ. So please don't harden your heart. I'm begging you. Don't do it. Choose to soften your heart to the Lord. And follow Him at every opportunity. And if it hurts to do that, lay that pain before Him. Just lay it down. Set it there at His feet. Say, God, today my offering is my pain. Or my loneliness. Or my abandonment. Or my hatred. Or my anger. Or my hurt. Because that's what I have to give today. And let Him fill that space. And let Him give you eyes to see. Because if you're a partaker of Christ, His voice will speak to you. But we have to lay bare before Him. So remember that you're in a relationship with Him. So we have to be careful that we don't slip away. We, have to, we remember that we're partakers of Christ. And then we're instructed not to, we're really instructed not to provoke him. The writer asks this question, he says, who provoked God when they heard his voice? Well, I hope they don't say my name. (laughs) Who provoked him? And the answer to that question goes all the way back to the people of the Exodus. Now, the story of the Exodus is interesting. They leave Egypt to a promised land that flows with milk and honey. Did God tell them everything when they left? Nope. And there were some big dudes in that land that made camp there, built enormous walls at Jericho. Chariots could ride on top of them. So they get there and they're they're at the land of Canaan. They send in 12 spies. They come back. They go in for 40 days. They come back and share. And they start going, oh man, it's got milk and honey, but... There's these big dudes over there. I don't know if we want to go in there. I don't know. We ain't going to make it. That's a big dude. You don't mess with them. They got a big line. We ain't going to break through them. Then Joshua, you can, you can read all this for yourself. It's in Numbers, uh, Numbers 13 and 14. Chapters 13 and 14. <coughs> Joshua and Caleb stand up and say, hey, wait a minute. Hold the press. God has given us that land. And we need to go possess it because he has given it to us. And the people said no to the will of God. 
and they provoked him. And that generation died in the wilderness. Never entering into the promised land. Now is the promised land a picture of heaven? You ever heard that preached before? There ain't no giants opposing us in heaven, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's not a picture of heaven. It's a picture of our life in Christ. Because God has promised us certain things in a relationship with Him. But we are going to face giants that have to be overcome in life. Amen? We are going to have to face troubles. Things that we can't do on our own that only God can do. Amen? And as long as we sit on the sidelines and go, well, I can't do that, or I'm not enough, then we're never going to engage and find out what God can do. And so if you're sitting on the sidelines and you're going, I'm not enough, that may not be a bad thing if you turn to him and not to yourself. Because I'm going to tell you this, I am not enough for a lot of things. I can get the list as long. Some of you are already helping me make that list now. <laughs> I am not technologically savvy. I call Stephen or Dave or James. And they go, oh, it's easy. <laughs> right? You ever have friends that, well, you don't know something else? Oh, that's easy. I have, I have them. They don't say that to me. They go, oh, I'll take care of that. It's not anything for them. But I guarantee if you ask them, they'll tell you there's things that they're not enough of for either. Because I know their heart. Just like I know many of yours. We rejoice together and we cry together. And that's the journey. And so they faced the decision in that moment whether to obey or to rebel. And you know how they made that decision? I want you to go back and look at this. It's so cool. I didn't realize this until I was studying this this week. You know how they made the decision as to what they were going to do, the decision they were going to make? It was based on who they were looking at. Joshua and Caleb said, no, God has given us that land, so we must go. They were looking at God. The others said, no, we can't go. They were looking at the giants. Why do you think the scripture tells us to set our eyes on Christ and our affections on things above? Because the giants in this life ain't nothing compared to him. That ain't good English, all my teachers. But it, well, I wouldn't say good preaching, it's maybe a mediocre. Because <laughs> he is enough, ladies and gentlemen, he truly is. So we have to be careful who we look at. You know, there's a cost to disobedience. There was two of it, two costs that I see out of this passage alone. There's others, I'm sure. Part of the cost was that they died in the wilderness. They never got to go in. They never got to see God's hand deliver. They never got to see those things. 
God is not going to deliver you from the giants unless you trust Him. Because if He delivers you from the giants when you're trying to do it on your own, what's going to happen is you're going to start trusting yourself instead of Him. And we're never called to do that. And you know why they were delivered from the giants? When they were? Two sides to it. Number one, it was God's will. He said, that's your land, you're good church. That was his will. Two, they trusted him at his word. When we trust God at his word, we cannot fail. Now, the circumstances and the events and the things that happened in this world may not go the way we picture. But when we're on the plan of God and paying attention, we cannot fail. The other cost is they did not enter his rest. They missed out. Now, think about this for a minute. It's described as entering his rest by going into the Canaan land and facing those that were at Jericho. That doesn't seem like a lot of rest to me. That seems like some stress. <laughs> some of us would say some unnecessary stress. What? You didn't enter his rest? We enter his rest through obedience and not letting the things around us that are happening determine our relationship with him. Then now I'm rested in him because those are his problem. And I no longer have to take responsibility to fix it. We have any fixers in here? <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to fix it for, I'm going to fix it. Listen, sometimes the storm is the deliverance. Sometimes what the storm is trying to provide you is the deliverance from something bigger than you realize. I'll tell you one big one is self-confidence. <laughs> I've been there. I've been in the storm doing ministry. I get it. I've hurt the hurt. I've walked alone, or at least I thought I was alone. God was there the whole time, and I was just exhausted and broken. And when I came to that place where I said, this is yours and not mine anymore, that's when he showed up, when he revealed himself to me. And I realized that it's not up to us it's Him. And He allows us to participate with Him out of joy and because He wants us to be there to enjoy the hand and, and seeing how God can use You ever surrendered something to God ever in your life and it turned out better than if you had planned it? Anybody ever done that? I did that. You know, it's so funny. When we started New Life and it was just Terry and I, I used to go in and I had these things in my mind and, and I would say, could we do this? And it was almost always a no. But it, when I would go and talk to people and say, you know, this is what we're trying to accomplish. And, and um, they would ask, how can we help or how can we participate? 
I would say, you just do what God wants you to do. It was almost so funny because they would say the things that I was thinking that I never said and they would add two or three things. But if I would ask for them and what God was reminding me of is if you'll trust me, if you'll let me do this, I'll do it. But if you try to take control and take charge of it, you ain't going to get it. You're not going to participate. But I had to go. My obedience was to go and to present and share the heart that God had given me. And he does the rest. Whatever he asks us to do, that's the limit of our participation. We're not called to build a ministry. We're called to be in love with Jesus Christ. Amen? The question is, do we really love him? Or is that some simple good church phrase that we use once a week or twice a week? I hope not. Because whether whether this church existed or not, I'm supposed to be in love with Jesus Christ. Whether I ever stand here again, I'm supposed to be in love with him. This is just an outflow of what he's asked me to do. And the second he asks me not to do it, I won't do it. He's in charge. And that's how we walk. They didn't enter in. They wandered around in the wilderness and never got to see the hand of God deliver. To discover rest in the Lord, you must obey Him. And remember this, unbelief is the enemy of obedience. It absolutely is. I cannot walk in obedience with Him if I don't trust Him. Why would I? We need to trust and obey. So if we're going to avoid unbelief, we must realize that we need each other to encourage one another onto greater faith. You're not an island. And you're also not the one who's going to encourage everybody all the time. And that's not your burden to bear. Our responsibility is as we're led to make contact. Try it this week. God may put somebody in your mind that's not even here. Or not even a part of this church. So be it. We're part of the body of Christ. Or maybe it's a seed sowing for somebody who needs the Lord. Maybe they were thinking of you and then all of a sudden you called. That's really weird to them. And I'll tell you this. If you think nobody needs you, I'm telling you this morning that I do. Every one of you, as I think of you, you make a difference in my life. Everyone in here. I may have just met you this week. If you're here for the first time, you made a difference for me this morning. You encouraged me by being here. And everybody around you needs you too. Two, as a partaker of Christ, are you engaging Him? You know, we pray and we, we ask people about their salvation. We say, did you pray and we can say, 
And it gives the story of when they prayed and they were saved. The question is, what happened since? Because if something changes, it looks different, right? If I change clothes, I look different. When you come to faith in Christ, look at the actual evidences in Scripture of somebody being saved. And how the Holy Spirit works with them. I want to remind you of this. It's hard to live for Him when you're missing out on sharing the joy of walking with Him. But to keep it fresh. How can we live for Him if we don't know what He wants? Three. How do you make decisions in your life? How do you make decisions? You know what? I'm going to tell you what a lot of us do. We kind of look at the information and we go, well, that seems to be the best decision. And we're looking at the information and not at the God who created all truth. (laughs) Sometimes the information, we all say emotions will lie to you, right? Everybody, yeah, especially men, we tell our wives that all the time. Well, that's just your emotions. Don't pay any attention to that. See, the men didn't move at all. The ladies went, oh, yeah. uh But I'm going to tell you something, men, that sometimes logic will lie to you also. What makes sense to you may not be what God's up to at all. Now the facts will always be the facts and the truth will always be the truth. But if we rely on our own intellect to make decisions instead of the Lord, we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out. We're going to miss out on what He has for us. What does God's Word say on the subject? Follow God even if you don't agree. I had a friend who was Doing well at his job, he quit his job and went to do missions. And he prayed, this is a true story, he prayed that God would make him healthy so that he could go do what God wanted him to do and he had a heart attack. That seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? But you know what happened? He got all tuned up. (coughs) Now he knows he's healthy there. And it was God's way of taking him through that so that he knew that he was okay. I told him, don't pray for me. (laughs) (laughs) But that's how God, I mean, (laughs) that's terrible. But God gave him the assurance. He said, you're going to be okay. And God used him. Amazing. You know, there was, um, this is a long time ago. This is back in, uh, 1837 there was somebody said no it can't be done there was a distinguished British physicist named Diane Di- I don't know if I'm going to get this right Dianus Lardner has anybody ever heard that name before we're all my physicists okay just checking he, this is what he did. He proved mathematically with equations that no, that nobody could question that a steamship would be incapable of a nonstop voyage to New York from Britain. 
And so he <laughs> he printed copies of this proof that they are, he printed copies of his proof. And they arrived in New York on the 24th of April, 1838. The only problem was they arrived on board a ship called the Cirrus, which was the first ship to cross the Atlantic on purely only steam power. <laughs> so what's the point? Don't trust in your own intellect. Even if you think you can prove it. We take God at his word. Because his word don't make sense to us sometimes. We're culturally shaped instead of transformed. In the renewing of our mind by the word of God. We have to let that take place. That's part of sanctification in Christ. We have to walk in faith whether it makes sense or not. Are you willing to abandon confidence in yourself and the resources you relied on and place all your hope in Him? The problem is sometimes we're not until all our hope is gone. That's what brokenness is about. I've walked that road. I wish it was a one-time trip. <laughs> Are you dealing with unbelief? This morning, be honest and let him lead you through that. We would say, well, it's not in God. I mean, like, I'm confident in God, but, but what? He hasn't met your need, he hasn't done things the way you think. He seems absent when you're in trouble. We've all been there. My encouragement to you is this. Do not let the circumstances, the cruddy, nasty, unfair, ugly, unfortunate circumstances of life. Derail your walk with Christ. I'm here to encourage you today, at least this day. To have faith. To have hope. To understand that God sees your situation. And you say, well, God doesn't see my situation. No, he does. That's why you're here this morning. And that's why he's burdened my heart with this. He sees it. And he cares about you. And other people care about you. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.